Welcome back, everyone. Again, if it works to have your video on, that would be appreciated. It's nice to be able to see people as I'm interacting with everyone. I want to continue today with the theme that I explored in October. This is the theme of bringing our practice, bringing our wisdom, our meditation, our way of being in the world to differences and conflicts. And I think I want to mention right away that I have defined conflicts as differences in values or goals or strategies and not necessarily involving aggression or uh, hostility or anything negative. So for many of us, it could be a redefinition of even how we see conflict. So there could be a conflict. Should I go to the Wednesday morning gathering at Spirit Rock? Or should I clean my house? Either could have merit, or should I clean my apartment, or whatever it is. And many people not here have made the latter choice. And so, you know, that, so that's, that could be a conflict or it could be, uh, um, what should I bring to a meal tomorrow or whatever. So it's a reframing of conflict that helps us to work with what for many of us is a lot of conditioning, certainly that I had personally, a lot of conditioning to be conflict avoidant, very negative towards conflicts. I think when I asked for a show of hands last uh, time I was teaching, I think we had uh, two-thirds of the people said they had had that kind of conditioning. So I want to continue with that. And, and as many of you know, I was originally energized by the fact that I, I gave a weekend retreat for Spirit Rock on that topic October 14th and 15th, set up a year ahead. Who would have known that I would be teaching on conflict uh, one week after the uh, attacks in, in Israel? In any case, we did, but I, my focus has been more on looking at the foundations of our practice in being skillful with conflict. And one of the findings that I've experienced or that I have found is that differences or conflicts have the same dynamics, whether they're an inner conflict, should I stay in this relationship or not? Should I stay in this job or not? Or uh, on a simpler level, should I attend this retreat or not? You know, that the dynamics are the same for inner conflicts or individual conflicts, as well as interpersonal conflicts or conflicts in organizations or social conflicts. I'm maintaining that the core ways that we bring our practice are the same, whatever kind of conflict there is, which means that we can really learn tremendously by being with differences or conflicts and bringing our practice to them that are maybe uh, less challenging, less charged, just by dealing with ordinary 
differences and conflicts that we actually can resolve, we can learn the foundational practices whereby being with interpersonal conflicts, we can learn about how to be skillful with conflicts and organizations or even larger social conflicts. I'm saying that from my experience, the core foundations are the same. Of course, there are a lot of complexities that are different, you know, of course, that. But what I'll, what I'll do in the talk today is continue from last time and name, uh, in total, uh, 10 foundations. The first two-thirds of them we've looked at in previous talks, so I'll be briefer with those. But it's actually, as I've uh, explored this, I've gone from seven foundations to eight to nine to ten. But ten is a good number. I'm going to stay there. <clears throat> Has a certain history in many traditions. In fact, uh, when I did my book, The Engaged Spiritual Life, I originally had 11 chapters. And the editor said, you know, we're going to have to go with 10. <laughs> so that's what happened. Anyway, I'm going to stay with 10. But it's, uh, it's a, such an important topic and often not really explored, you know, for different reasons. Uh, as I mentioned, many of us do have conditioning to be conflict avoidant. How many people would, it, would relate to that way? Yeah, many, many of us, not all of us, because the opposite is to be more conflict indulgent, just to, I'll just get into it, right? How many people have that conditioning? Yeah, yeah, so that's, again, some of this is based on ethnicity, you know, that some ethnicities, it's more conflict avoidant, some it's more conflict indulgent. I would say that neither of them bring necessarily wisdom to conflicts, right? But it's good to know that conditioning. And there's also a challenge because I think that my experience has been that the conflict avoidant tendency tends to be dominant in many Buddhist settings. So I found even in Buddhist organizations, uh, we don't deal with conflict often very well. You know, and there's often that conflict avoidance there. So let me say a little bit more about the definition of conflict, um, just to give a little more detail. Again, I'm defining conflict so it doesn't have anything necessarily to do with hostility or aggression or meanness or uh, even, you know, interpersonal tension. It can, of course, but it doesn't necessarily. Uh, so it's a difference in values or interests or strategies or goals. You know, what color should I paint the front door? What should I do this evening? What's my main aim in this talk? Right. A person who I've learned from, and I'll, this is something I think I gave last time, who I've studied conflict with, named Johan Galtung, he's from Norway, and he's in his 90s now, and I, I, he's been very influential for me, and he actually wrote a manual on conflict for the UN, which uh, and is kind of a, a representative, I'll come back to this later, of an approach to conflict, which is quite uh, strong in many approaches to conflict, of trying to find a win-win or a both-end solution to conflicts that meets the needs of all concerned. I'll come back to that. He's a representative of that. This is what he says. Conflict is a contradiction or clash between goals. It's dangerous when it leads to violence and hateful attitudes. Unresolved conflict may turn violent, but the search for acceptable and sustainable solutions is also an opportunity to create new realities. We get violence and war when conflict is handled badly and peace when it is handled well. The capacity to handle conflict rests with persons, with individuals, as well as with countries. 
measure today in today's world is to increase that capacity through what he calls a conflict transformation culture in a culture of peace a culture of peaceful conflict transformation is a key component and what I want to invite us to do is to right now think of a a conflict or difference in your own life. This is just going to be personal and private for yourself. Think of one that might be interpersonal or might be an inner conflict, one that on a scale of difficulty or intensity from 1 to 10 is in the middle range, not a real difficult conflict. Think of that right now. Maybe, you know, like some of them were mentioned, maybe an interpersonal conflict that has some tensions at times, but it's not, not at a 9 or a 10 level on a scale of 1 to 10. And have this conflict as a reference point as I go through the talk. Have that conflict, again, not a difficult one, and hopefully one just in your own personal life, that you can say, okay, here's, here are, in terms of the 10 foundations I go through, here are some ways that I can work with that conflict. Now, it could even be, again, could be an inner conflict involving being judgmental towards oneself. Could be kind of an inner conflict. I want to be kind to myself and there's a judgmental quality. So it could, could be that. So what I'll do is go briefly through some of the ones that I've already mentioned in past talks and give a little more time with our um, with ones I haven't gone through. I'll, I'll identify 10 foundations and I'm thinking, I'm going to get your perspective on this, I'm thinking possibly of next week doing something ambitious which is to apply the 10 foundations to Israel-Palestine and give a talk on that which would be quite ambitious. I'm not sure if it interests you. I'm going to come back and see if that interests you. How many of you find some interest in that and really applying that to this large topic? You know, I'll come back. I'll come back to that. But I'm thinking about that because I have I have a history. I've uh, traveled and taught in uh, Israel. I've also made uh, a number of trips to the West Bank. You know, and met Palestinians and Palestinian activists and. Actually, maybe I'll tell this story next week. I actually once was invited to give a talk on how to be uh, skillful with conflict in Jerusalem. And I gave a talk on how to be skillful with conflict in Jerusalem. And uh, some unexpected things happened in the talk, which maybe I'll bring that up next week. Okay. It, was, it was challenging at times. Yeah. Basically, I had some people who were interrupting and not, you know, anyway, I'll, maybe I'll go into that next time and tell you what happened. Okay, but I, I learned from it. Okay, so to, to remember ways that conflicts are, are, reasons conflicts are difficult and reasons we may not want to pay attention to them. First of all, they often can involve difficult emotions, difficult experiences, can be painful sometimes, not always, but sometimes. Um, we often have that conditioning to be conflict avoidant or conflict indulgent, as I mentioned. We often get really caught in storylines and narratives. I'm right, the other person's wrong. We get caught in our views, our narratives, our stories, in what we want to happen. We get, we get attached to them, in other words. 
Another reason why conflict, uh, being with conflicts is difficult is that most of our spiritual practice tends to be more inner. It's about meditation, about doing inner practice, and we don't, most of us don't have such a well-developed way of bringing our practice into interpersonal issues or into social issues. And so part of what we do, we'll do here is that we're doing that. You know, so, okay. So first of all, four inner conditions for being skillful with conflict, bringing our practice to conflict. And I'll name these briefly because I went into more detail in past sessions. Number one, look into our conditioning about conflict. Reflect on how we've had past conditioning about conflict. Am I someone who tends even now to be avoidant? You know, again, that was my conditioning. You know, as I came to be an adult, you know, in, in my late teens and 20s, I could see, and I could see this in my relationships, I didn't want to be with conflicts in relationships. I had that conditioning. Again, probably something very similar for many of us. You know, am I, or so are we conflict avoidant, conflict indulgent? When conflicts happen, do I get scared? Do I freeze? Do I just want to get the hell out of there? Often that's the case. Do I try to win? So a first foundation is to examine our conditioning. And I've thought sometimes of uh, having these 10 foundations be the basis they could be for a 10-week course, right? And we would go into much more depth and we could actually give more time than I'm allowing here for working with our conditioning, exploring it, sharing it, uh, telling stories about how we know what, what that conditioning is. Anyway, that's the first foundation. We could give a lot more time to that. It's something that I invite you to explore and reflect on on your own. A second foundation is working with some of the core teachings, uh, particularly about how when we have something painful happen, we tend to go into reactivity. I'll come back later with some of the core teachings that are more of an ethical nature, but there are, you know, there are ways that we can be based on some of the core wisdom teachings. One of the major ones I mentioned last time, I think, is the teaching of the two arrows, which I often teach, which is that when I have pain, we can call that the first arrow, I will tend to shoot a second arrow at myself and or others. That's the second arrow. When I have something painful happen, I will tend to go into reactivity and say something maybe nasty to someone else. Someone says something negative to me. I will tend, if I'm not mindful and aware, to be reactive and say something nasty to the other person, right? I have a difficult experience happen. I may blame myself, blame others. That's reactivity as well. That's shooting the second arrow. So I may be shooting the second arrow in one or many of several ways. And we want to remember that teaching uh, and know that many conflicts just have two sides shooting second arrows at each other. What we want to do is do inner practice, which will be the third foundation, so we're not caught in reactivity. So the third foundation is working with difficult thoughts and emotions, bringing mindfulness to them, working maybe with anger or sadness or resentment, all the emotions that might be part of the first arrow and doing inner practices with them, being mindful of what's going on, hanging out for a time with difficult emotions, difficult body states, being able to work with them so they're no longer dominant. This is probably for many of us 
historically has been an important part of our practice. And this is, continues to be something that is really crucial for us when there are conflicts. I have an interpersonal conflict with someone. Can I actually hang out with my emotions, my thoughts, my narratives, my blaming, my judging of the other person, of myself? Be mindful with them so we can, in the long run, learn from the painful experiences. Be mindful of them so we can transform reactivity into possibly having a wise approach that's non-reactive to the situation. And again, there's a lot that we could talk about here, including there'd be really special instructions if some of the reactivity is connected with trauma. So again, I'm recognizing that I'm being, being brief here. And I gave, I gave more detail in the past sessions. So the first foundation looking to conditioning, the second foundation, remember the teachings, particularly about the two arrows and about reactivity. Thirdly, work with in meditation and other inner work uh, our difficult emotions, difficult thoughts, difficult uh, body states. The fourth is the importance of heart practices like loving kindness, compassion, forgiveness. Again, we could take more time and focus on these many heart practices. These are really crucial. And they, they help us really to come back to our kind hearts. Often in differences or conflicts, particularly interpersonal or when we're blaming ourselves or in relation to social conflict, we're not in the kind heart. We don't have access anymore to kindness or empathy or compassion. We're caught in a position that's often blaming or judging harshly. And the heart practices help us to come back to our hearts. They don't, by themselves, they don't totally help us resolve the conflict, but we can use them to have some access to the kind heart that will help us bring back uh, a little more empathy and kindness and compassion, for example, to ourselves or to our relationships. What I found in working with people is that, for example, when there are interpersonal conflicts, often compassion or forgiveness can be more helpful than metta or loving kindness because they kind of connect us with the pain. You know, how many people can think of a situation where I have an interpersonal difficulty, I'm so caught in the narrative, I don't actually realize that it's painful, right? Anyone relate to that? So I might, and when I do something like forgiveness practice or compassion practice, I realize, oh, this is painful. I might still have my views, but I'm reminded that it's painful because we often forget that when we're just caught in the judgment or the view. Kristen Neff has a really wonderful, very simple two or three minute self-compassion practice, which goes like this. I've, I've often taught it. Step one, acknowledge that a situation is hard. Step two, know that other people share these kind of dynamics as part of the human condition. And step three, give some kind words to yourself. That can be a wonderful practice, very, very simple. Acknowledge it's painful or hard in your own language in some way. Know that it's similar to what other people are experiencing. And thirdly, offer some kind words. Now some uh, further foundations that are more uh, interpersonal or social. A fifth foundation, and this is valuable sometimes with individuals, but especially in groups or organizations or communities, uh, develop a set of guidelines for working with conflict. These can be really, really important and helpful, particularly in maybe in families or groups or organizations. And probably some of you have experienced this. 
what do we do when we have differences or conflicts? You know, and when I've worked often with retreats or, or groups, ongoing groups, we often have guidelines, you know, very simple guidelines might be guidelines like uh, confidentiality, um, might be to uh, take conflicts, conflicts as a chance for practice, remembering that. Uh, it could be to try to have respect for every person. Very, very simple guidelines. I think I mentioned last time that when I taught a retreat on a charged area on how we bring our Buddhist practice and teachings to transforming racism, which I've taught several times, first time I taught it, we worked out guidelines collaboratively in the retreat. We ended up with 24 of them that were really our safeguard for proceeding in a charged area. And something like that can be very, very helpful. Again, this could be a, we could take a whole talk just to talk about guidelines. That's the fifth foundation. The sixth foundation I brought up last time was about this model of having a win-win approach or a both-end approach to conflict. And here we'll look at uh, a slide which I showed last time. We'll, we'll see this slide, Deanna. This is from Johann Galton's work. And again, a very simple model. Very often conflicts are seen as either one side wins or the other side wins. This win-win model is designed to say, let's find a way that everyone wins. And I'll, I'll say more what winning means, maybe with the next foundation. Because what, what is actually we're looking for are the deep or genuine interests or values or needs on either side. So what we do is we move from the way of structuring a conflict in which it's either one side wins or the other. This is number two, that we have either A or B wins. We try to move from that. Let's go down, move the slide down just a little bit so we can see also for number three, there's also D. We try to have three further options come into play not just have either A wins or B wins, but D is actually avoidance. We avoid the conflict. No, we could stay where we were, that's fine. Just stay, so we just show D. And D would be avoiding the conflict, which in a violent situation would mean a ceasefire, which is often the best thing we can do, and that often comes first. C would be a compromise. Often that's the best we can do. And E would be the win-win solution where we actually meet the deep needs of both sides. You know, even, for example, looking at Israel-Palestine, it's not very hard to see that the deep needs for Israel are those of security and the deep needs for Palestinians are those of justice and, and sovereignty and freedom. You know, so how do we, you know, how do we go in that direction? So, so this is what we're looking for. And we'll see, uh, we can let go of this now. And we'll see that the, uh, the sixth foundation, very, very crucial and related to the fifth, is bringing in empathy to the situation, which I looked at briefly last time. And We've looked at empathy in past meetings when we looked at wise speech. And I like to interpret empathy as connected with uh, the approach in nonviolent communication of identifying uh, needs and emotions. So one way of developing empathy practice is to try to tune in let's say, to the emotions and the needs of another person. And I've used um, some of the listings. Let's use the framework. Let's use that slide now for identifying uh, feelings and needs. This comes from nonviolent communication. And this is where we try to tune in to the emotions of another person. 
as part of what empathy is about. And then we also try to um, tune in to the needs. Let's, let's see that slide if we can now, uh, Deanna, where we tune into emotions. These are called feelings in nonviolent communication. And these are probably more familiar. We try to just tune in. What's the other person feeling? Maybe someone with whom I have, uh, you know, we start this without there being a conflict. Just uh, try to have a sense of what's the other person feeling? What are the emotions? This is probably more familiar. And then we can go down. We also ask the second question, what are the needs of the person? And this, is, this can take a little more training. The need may be for autonomy, choice, freedom. The need may be for connection, belonging, companionship, community. The need may be for peace, for beauty or equality or spiritual communion. The needs may be more physical and so forth. And so we... I, I like to interpret empathy practice, and here I was also you know, informed by my collaboration with my colleague Oren J. Sofer to take as a way of actually practicing empathy to tune in to someone's emotions and someone's needs. So let's let go of the slide for now. And let's do you know, what we've done sometimes in the past, which is do empathy practice with me you know, as a way of doing this, okay? We've done this a few times. Try, I'm gonna talk for about two minutes and I want you to be empathic towards Donald, okay? And think of what emotions you're hearing and then what are the needs? An important thing to say about needs is that needs are different from strategies. And so I can have a need for peace and I, my strategy is to drink a lot, drink alcohol a lot, or maybe indulge in marijuana a lot to the point where it's actually not so good for me. My need is very genuine. My strategy may be unskillful. Another example I often give, I may be facilitating a meeting. My need is for efficiency. My strategy is to be a control freak. And so we want to distinguish between the need and the strategy. The need is taken to be genuine. The strategy can be very unskillful, okay? So tune in now to Donald's emotions and Donald's deeper needs, okay? So I like it that at this time of the year, I can still, in Northern California, go out every day and get... Uh, little vegetables or fruit that I bring in uh, for my meals. I can walk out just over here, about 15 feet away, I can see tomatillos. There are also some tomatoes. And I love having them near me. You know, and there are also lemons here. Over there, there are some guavas. There's still some figs left. Amazing. Who would have thought? They don't usually last quite so long. Okay, cut. What were, what were some emotions you heard? You can just speak up. Yeah. Gladness, happiness, joy. Yeah, gladness, happiness, joy. What else? Pleasure. Pleasure, yeah. Excitement. Excitement, yeah. Very good. So you were very empathic. What needs were there? This is probably for most of us is a little, you know, can take a little more time. What needs? Fresh food. Yeah, let's say on the... Using, uh, probably we'd say nutrition, maybe something like that. Yeah. Well, yeah, what else? What else? To be able to see them at a distance. And yeah, maybe, uh, maybe yeah, I would probably reframe that, something like connection, right? And so, you see, the needs can take a little more training to identify. You know, ideally, I would have that list out there, but I wanted to... You to also yes work. yeah what else easy access yeah so maybe ease something like that yeah yeah so these are ease connection 
Share. Nutrition, yeah, sharing. Uh, Safety. What? Safety, that you're going to have food. Yeah, yeah, that I can know that the food is uh, organic. (laughs) Okay, so... You know, when, I, when we do trainings, we do a little bit more than that. So now I want you to go back to your conflict that you imagined with someone, or it could be an inner conflict. And let's bring up that further slide that we've, we've used, I think, once before. It's called the empathy map. And this is where you have your piece of paper or your electronic device and form four quadrants. And fill this out just with one or two entries. Think of a time maybe when you were had a conflict, if it's an interpersonal conflict, think of the conflict with the other person. And what are one or two of your emotions? And what are two, one or two of the other's emotions? And then see if you can also identify in that situation, what are your needs and what are the other person's needs? Basically, We're doing empathy practice with ourselves and with another. can take another minute and I'll put this empathy map on the Dharma Seed website so you can use it if you wish so you can download it okay let's go back let's let go of the slide now and how many people were able to fill that out yeah did you anyone notice anything that was interesting about filling out doing empathy with someone we have conflict with? Yeah, Carolyn. Um Okay, I don't know quite how you want me to present this, but what I noticed was that this Elise that I have a conflict with is trying, it needs to live as calmly as possibly with an addict who is my neighbor. Yeah, yeah. My neighbor is the addict. He could complain about me because he complains about everybody, although I go there. Yeah, Karen, Karen, I was more asking if you had any insights, not so much the nature of the conflict. Yeah. I, I The insight was... I, I got more compassion for her. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, she's in love with an addict. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. That, that will be a, a very common effect of doing the empathy practice. Again, we connect with the heart. You know, uh, I found when I, because I did it myself, and I found that actually the person with whom I have conflict, we both have the same needs. Anyone notice that? Yeah. And so, I think, um, Chess, did you have an insight you wanted to share? Uh, I Yes, thank you. Um, I did it with an institution, and the institution says, do what I ask you to do. Don't argue. And I'm there saying, well, I have special needs. Does that work? Yeah, yeah. Just um, yeah. And was there any insight that you had from the from doing the exercise? Well, I was able to write it down. Sometimes I look at the chart and I just I don't know. Um, it's either too obvious, and so I don't write it down, yeah. or I can't see it. 
So I wrote it down for the first time. I actually wrote it down and, and I was able to see it that that, let's say, person says, do what I say, don't argue, don't question. And I'm the whole opposite. I'm here because I have a special situation, circumstance, and so I need to do this. And so they go, well, we're not here. This is what we want you to do, and do it, and don't argue, and don't complain, and yeah. don't, you know. Just in doing the exercise, were you able to have a sense of what the deeper need is of the institution and the deeper need for you? Exactly, yes. Um, they want, they have a, a, a status, they have a, a need for me to be compliant, and they have rules, let's say. Well, let, Chess, let, me, I, let, me, let me jump in. Remember the difference between a strategy and a need. The need is always going to be genuine. The strategy can often be unskillful. Yeah, they have the need for people to do what they say. That's a strategy. And, and, That's really a strategy, oh, not, not a need. Oh, oh. Well, then I don't know the difference, really. Yeah, because the strategy can often be unskillful. The strategy might be to, uh, you know, again, it's not saying this. this uh, the need might be, for example, to have, a, a, you know, a coherent organization or to have people working effectively together, something like that. And the strategy might be overly controlling, right? So, so that's where the empathy practice can be helpful, because even where we really disagree very much with the strategy, we can sometimes see something with the exercise that we didn't see before. That helps us to not be quite so polarized. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. We'll come back to that. So let me say just a few more things. Um, so that empathy can play an incredible role. That was the seventh foundation. The eighth foundation is a grounding in ethics. This is one I didn't mention last time. Uh, you know, that particularly it's a grounding in non-harming, not taking that which is not given, and care in difficult areas. And so when we're in a conflict, we want to commit to keeping with the ethical guidelines. That's a really crucial dimension. And also, there's, some, there's an implication that we get from Buddhist practice that everyone matters, which is really crucial. And interestingly, we also find this at the heart of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. That, you know, if you think of uh, from Judaism, you will not wrong a stranger, for you were once a stranger in Egypt. It's basically to treat everyone with kindness. Same thing very much at the heart of the teachings of Jesus. I'm not saying that people in Judaism and Christianity have always stayed with that. But there, you know, in Buddhism, we have the sense everyone has Buddha nature. You think of metta, the aim of our practice is to have kindness towards all beings, not just towards my group, not just towards my family. And so those kind of ethical teachings are really, really crucial. You know, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, he spoke of it, as a call for a worldwide fellowship that lifts neighborly concern beyond one's tribe, race, class, and nation to an all-embracing and unconditional love for all people. Again, we find that in the metta practice. We find it in the sense of Buddha nature. And this is at the core of our ethics, is that everyone matters. And again, in conflicts, it's easy to think, oh, only my side matters. Only my interest matters. Related to that is, I'll just be brief here, are two sort of extensions of ethics. One is developing skillful speech. That's what I'm calling the ninth foundation, is developing skillful speech in conflicts in which we um, 
you know, develop some of what we explored in actually in July and August when I taught on why speech, developing presence, the brief account of why speech is to have speech which is helpful, comes out of warmth and kindness, is truthful, and is appropriate and has good timing. And so that is a ninth foundation. How do I, in a conflict, communicate skillfully? It's a whole training, you know, that we can work with. And then the last foundation I want to name is bringing all of these tools into larger social dimensions. How do we bring these first nine foundations into this is where we might apply the foundations of skillful conflict to a situation like Israel-Palestine or to the polarization that's there in the U.S. Uh, politically. How do we do that? Again, more complex. I would say that the foundations are the same. And this can give us some guidance. You know, that we, you know, I would say that we want to bring in the ethical framework of everyone matters and we have an approach of non-harming. And so many people have interpreted spiritually grounded social action as needing to follow the guidelines of nonviolence. And many people who inspire me most about Israel-Palestine are very, very committed nonviolent activists, both Israeli and Palestinians, obviously somewhat marginalized now. Gandhi said, nonviolence is based on the assumption that human nature in its essence is one and therefore unfailingly responds to the advances of love. That's a lot, right, to bring in. You know, Dr. King talk, said, the end of our work is reconciliation, it's redemption, it's the creation of the beloved community in which we turn those who have opposed us into friends. So ultimately, not different how we are, according to these teachers, not different how we are interpersonally or with an inner conflict or with a large social conflict. Again, we need uh, training and development to bring that into these areas, but I, th I would say that this is, this is our work. Whatever level we're working on, work with these 10 foundations in small conflicts, in inner conflicts, in, you know, we can work with the conflict like, uh, what should I do with my free day? And see if we can identify two competing needs, both of which are genuine. See if I can have a both-and resolution. You know, can I have empathy with an interpersonal conflict? So I'll close just recognizing that this is a lot and that I, this, we could have a 10-week course. I'll close with uh, uh, really with uh, three quotes. First from the Buddha. Anger, confusion, and dishonesty arise when things are set in pairs as opposites. Whoa. Anger, confusion, and dishonesty arise when things are set in pair as opposites. And then from Thich Nhat Hanh, talking about his approach during the Vietnam War. We were able to understand the suffering of both sides. We tried to be open to both to understand this side and to understand that side, to be one with them. That is why we did not take a side, even though the whole world took sides. We wanted reconciliation. Reconciliation is to understand both sides. And then I'll repeat a story of uh, friends who are Israeli Buddhist teachers and also activists. This is from one of them. As well as supporting the Israeli Buddhist community, we are going into the West Bank almost daily 
to support our beloved Palestinian friends in the olive harvest. We are joined by a few Israeli friends every day. It is not much, but it makes a difference. It is easier to hold all this tragedy together and to nourish in each other and in the world our strong commitment to a better world. What's going on right now? Let's take a moment just to sit quietly. And see what may have resonated with you. See where there is a question, clarification. Maybe talking further about that distinction between a need and a strategy, which is really crucial for empathy. And see whether there's a question or something you'd like to share. And let's open it up to anyone who'd like to ask a question, share. And looks like, uh, Deanna, someone was communicating to me. Uh, maybe you could read that. If they send it to you, I can't see it. So please send Okay, yeah, send it, send it to Deanna. Send it I... to me. Okay. I was just... Um saying that I'm having challenges watching the news with what's going on in Israel and Gaza right now. Yeah. Any thoughts about that? Yeah, so here we can we can work with some of the foundations, more of the inner work. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for example, uh, I mean, I think first of all, it's important to get basic information, but be careful about getting too much. Mm -hmm. That's probably occurs to all of us. And I would say work with um, the inner practices, maybe, you know, what you could, you know, see, experiment with this if it appeals to you. Before you listen to the news, meditate for 10 minutes. And then try to see what you're experiencing as you hear it. Is it, you know, as you hear stories that are quite uh, awful, right? You know, is, is it pain? Do I go into a narrative being negative about one side or the other? You know, where does my mind go to track that? You can do that as it's happening. You can also later, maybe at the end of the day, just bring up what happened, listening to the news from a place of mindfulness and notice it. Notice if you're getting maybe caught in a particular view or narrative being judgmental, whether there, in other words, whether there's some reactivity, you know, whether and whether, you know, so how, how does that sound? Um, that sounds good. The, um, the fundamental thing is that negotiating between two reasonable parties usually has a reasonable outcome. Yeah. But when the goal of one of the parties is to annihilate the other party, by whatever means possible, the whole dynamic changes. Yeah, yeah. And so I'll probably, I, I think I'll ask at the end whether you'd like me to go into the situation in more detail. But what I would say is that here we can even, um, again, I think distinguishing between need and strategy is helpful. However, whatever your perspective is, if you're primarily really critical of the Israelis, uh, you can see that there is a genuine need for security. And you can say the strategy, you know, you might say it's a really bad strategy, you know, and maybe it's been tried a lot in the past and hasn't worked, you know, one of the definitions of insanity, right? Doing the same strategy over and over again. But the need for security is genuine. In a similar way, you can say that the need for Palestinians is for justice and freedom and their own security, right? And you can tune in there and question the strategy. 
question the strategy of violence, let's say, you know, of whatever you call the, you know, the October 7th attack. But the, the, the need is, um, the need's genuine for the people, right? That's one way to work with it. Well, it just seems like what happened on October 7th is an extension of what happened in Germany in the 30s. And, uh, Yeah, that's, that's another, can I jump in? Yeah. I mean, that's another piece. You know, I didn't bring it in very much, but actually in 2017, uh, when I came back from a long trip to Israel and the West Bank, I gave an analysis and I talked about unresolved residual intergenerational collective trauma on both sides, right? And, you know, working with that, is an, an immense challenge. Again, I'm getting ahead of myself, not to go into too much detail, but recognizing that there is vast intergenerational trauma on both sides makes it way more challenging. We still can have that sense of there being genuine needs. Yeah. On a fundamental level. On a fundamental level, and the strategies may be seen as very, very deeply unskillful. Mm -hmm. right? And that, that, that points to a, a direction. Yeah. That points to a solution. Yeah. The win-win. So, thank yeah. you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Stephen. Yeah. Other, others like to ask a question. And again, a lot of our learning will come from working with really simple conflicts and challenges and not going to too much. I'm not, yeah, maybe I should say we go to that immense conflict because it's there, but also remember we can learn a lot from uh, more simple conflicts. Uh, Seema, please. Okay. Um, what always comes to my mind in discussions like this yeah. is um, a situation where, well, in Myanmar, where the government is Buddhist, well, it was Buddhist, yeah. and it's also a military component. And the um, basically genocide of the Rohingya minority there. Right. There are times when I just well, like I guess all of us, but I just get to a wall where it's like, what do you do? What when things just don't seem reconcilable? Um, yeah. Yeah, when, or again, we can look to different parts of the world and just see a lot, you know, tremendous amount of violence. And yes. in a sense, you know, I would say almost like, you know, the, uh, the Buddha analyzed core issues in terms of greed, hatred, and delusion. We see a lot of that. That's where I think it's really, really crucial for one's own well-being and maybe even sanity and perspective to look at how all this works on... Um, an everyday level where things are not so intense. It's, it's kind of related to the, you know, it's like for any training, you don't start at the most difficult levels, right? You, you know, these are, you know, 10 plus on a scale of one to 10, but we learn different capacities, you know, whether you're an Olympic diver or any kind of training, you learn where it's actually workable and where you can actually train in something. You train with the easier things and you build up to the most difficult. So that's, that's a fundamental way to work with this. So work with easy conflicts. I'm maintaining that the um, principles and practices are the same. And what that means, if we get good at the small stuff, we'll have a better sense of the big stuff, not just to start with the big stuff even though our minds often go there because it's so, it's so intense, right? Yeah, and then uh, work there and uh, you know, to use these different foundations with small stuff. And I think the principles are no different. It's just more, the large social conflicts are more complex and more challenging, but the approach is gonna be, you know, and then, you know, and, you know, we have to talk about how you gather energy in the larger, in the world and so forth. So, but that's, uh, that's a start. Okay. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. 
for me, I, I'm optimistic, partly because I can see how this win-win model can work in small situations and less intense. So um, chest, please. Thank you. I, I need to learn how to select that easy one. I, I, I haven't been able to do it. Um, I thought that I had selected one a long time ago when we first went into this, yeah. uh, when we first saw the charts, and I, I thought I, I had selected the right one, and, and uh, I just, I got bored in a way, because, <laughs> well, I, I, yeah. I did, yeah. and then... <laughs> And then today I chose, let's say, the Israel-Palestine, and I felt like I could run with it. But, uh, but you say, so then I think, okay, I've got it. But then if I try to apply it to my own, and I just gave you that example of that institution, I, I couldn't do it. I didn't do it, so... Yeah, uh, yeah. So we want to just find. Uh, thank, thanks, Jess, so much. Thanks for being willing to to share. And I think, yeah, um, I think this is important. Very much related to Sima's uh, comments and questions. Look in daily life for when there's something like uh, you know a choice that you have to make, and maybe we're even it has a little bit of challenge like. What should I do this evening? What should I do tomorrow? Um, should I uh, uh, do, you know, what, what color should I paint the front door, like I said, to give that example? Small stuff on a personal level or maybe an interpersonal difficulty that's not, not big. You know, maybe you just have a friend uh, where you want to get together and the friend wants to do it on one day and you want to do it on another. And that's where you can use the empathy practice, the, the empathy map, and, and you can do that after the fact, sort of, you know, maybe you have a discussion and, oh, you know, Monday doesn't work, but Thursday does. And, oh, Thursday's not so good for me. Can we find something? And you could analyze that kind of an example in terms of the empathy map and see what the kind of the underlying uh, needs are on both sides. Uh, so try to find those small examples like that and even do them after the fact. You know, even do them, you know, uh, a few hours later, just, but using that map and I'm, you know, I'm going to put on the uh, feelings and needs charts because those are helpful for doing this. I'll put, I think they're already on the Dharma Seed website from the July and August talks, but I'll put them on. I'll put them on uh, as well for today's talks. And using it, you know, just looking at them can be really, really helpful. So I hope, I hope, Chess, does that help some? Look for the small stuff. It sure does. It sure does. I, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, that's that's how we want to. <laughs> Train with the small stuff, work up to the big stuff. And let me ask that question again. Uh, how many people would be interested if I actually try to deal with the large situation of Israel-Palestine and apply these 10 foundations? How many people would like to see that happen? Okay, I'm seeing everyone's hands. So I've been interested in that. And it's a, it'll be challenging. It's very sensitive. So I'll do my best with that. But that's I have my homework for the next week. <laughs> Okay, and I'll try to send it on to the UN. Okay, so thank you so much. Let's close just with two things. First of all, I want to thank, let's give thanks to Deanna. Yay, Deanna. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And let's close by two things. One, setting your intention for the next period of time, maybe for the next week. Coming from our time today, how do you want to bring your practice in? Maybe follow up on some of these ways of bringing in exploration of conflict. Take a minute or so.
And then we'll close with the dedication of merit. May our time together be beneficial to us, be beneficial to those in our lives, and be beneficial in the larger world in known and mysterious ways. May our time together be a benefit ultimately to all beings, knowing that we are part of all beings. Thank you so much for your kind attention. And if you want to unmute and stay on for a little bit, feel free to do that. Thank you. Thank you, Donald. Thank you, Deanna. Thank you. I thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Good to see you and see you soon, everyone. Thanks, uh, Stephen, for bringing up what you did. Yeah, not an easy. I think you, you did that for, for most of us. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Bye bye. What everyone. a beautiful house he has. That's <laughs> <laughs> virtual. <laughs> it's not real, sorry. Oh. <laughs> okay. Bye bye. All right. Take care. <laughs>